Hi, everyone. Welcome to Genealogy Adventures. My name is Brian Sheppey. And I'm Donya Williams. It is hot in Merlin, baby. It is. <laughs> it is hot. Man, if I was an ice cream cone, I would be a puddle. I'd be just melted. Yes, yes, it is. It's been a long time, Brian, since it's been me and you, just me and you. You read my mind. It has been. <laughs> it's been a minute. <laughs> it's been a minute. So welcome to everyone who's watching us at home or wherever you're catching us on the show. Thank you for spending the next hour with us. We're really excited to have you. And this week we are going to be talking about how freed enslaved families acquired their surnames. Um, this, I've wanted to do this show for a while, but let's just be honest, because I keep seeing um, the question being asked over and over again on all the big kind of African-American and Black genealogy groups on Facebook. And there's always theories and there's always comments. And I just thought it would make a really interesting show. So for this show, it's a little bit more relaxed, it's just Donnie and I, we're going to be asking you guys questions probably as much as you're going to be asking us questions. And one thing that I hope this will inspire Black genealogists in particular to do is for those of us who are writing about our family history and our family stories, if you know how your enslaved family came by their surname, I think this would make a really wonderful thing to, kind of, to, to write about. Because as um, Donnie and I were chatting before the show, and I asked her a really simple question. I know I've heard this. Donnie, you said you've heard this. And I'm curious how many people who, um, who are watching the show have heard that Black families who were previously enslaved took the name of a slave owner that they either liked or they just took the last name of their last enslaver. And I'm really curious about where that even came from. Um, who did that research? If that was that just a hypothesis, but how how did that even become a thing? Um, and right, like like that's the only thing that they did. That was the last thing that they did. Um, and it's not. No, and it's it's something that I would really really like to research. And in particular, did this come from from black families themselves? Were they ever asked, or um, did this come from from um, perhaps white people? people who were uncomfortable about why so many enslaved families shared the same names as, as white families. So obviously our surnames had to come from somewhere. And what I can say from my own direct ancestry is my ancestors, and I'm doing a mental, I did a mental inventory before the show, but my ancestors took the names that were biologically theirs to take. So no, they were not African names, they are not African surnames, but that's because all of my enslaved lines end with a Black woman, mostly a Black woman and a white enslaver. Every once in a blue moon, it's a white woman who's having, having children either with a free man of color or an enslaved man, but they're not married. So the children took her, took her surname. But even right. then, they're still taking names that are biologically theirs. So we know that just talking about Edgefield and, and for a minute, that's not the case with all of our families. Again, most of it, it looks as though they knew who they descended from. So they were taking names that were meaningful to them, that they felt that they had a right to take because of their ancestry. But I want to I want to start with Martha Brooks, actually. Yep, yep that's the one. <laughs> because We've researched Martha, well, you researched Martha far longer than I have, but collectively we have researched Martha for years. And Martha Brooks is always Martha Brooks. And in that first census that we see her on, so that tells me she, you know, she knew who she knew who her white family was. And she knew exactly how she was related to them. But our question has always been, why was she, why were her kids called Brooks? In the 1870 census, but in the 1880 census, all of a sudden they're yelled out. Yep. Martha wasn't a silly woman. She wasn't a capricious woman. She didn't pluck that name out of the ether. She gave those kids that name for a reason. Now, what frustrates the pair of us is we have no idea why. Right. So the 
the thing about um it looks like our video got interrupted for a second i'm not sure i'm having some technical difficulties over here so i hope it's not my fault but um the thing about martha is that she is like you said don't, going through the motions of changing her children's name but then the other issue with her is that she never changes hers right so she she continues to keep the last name brooks sometimes that's a clue that you know that they're actually belonging to that family that they are enslaved by not just holding on to the name because they have to but holding on to the name because it's theirs that is their name that's who she she comes from even though you know okay i know we may have some people who are very um how can i say this um pro african mm -hmm. okay so <laughs> yeah they may be very pro african and say although but that's not her name well technically you know she she was born here and she was whether it was via rape or what have you coming from that line it's it's literally so that is just as much her name as it is theirs and it, and and i think you know people people think that the those who were back then were dumb and they were way smarter than a lot of us are today way smarter and they knew and they knew more about where they came from than what historians and people want to give them credit for. Right. How many times have we actually, you know, researching together, we're on the phone, usually with, you know, Loretta or Hamad is with us and sometimes Sharon. And we're looking for a specific family group and we've got the mother and we've got the father and we've got the kids. And then we find this, another mirror family who's white in the same town with kids with the same name, with a mother or a father with the same name as the black household. And you're like, one, why did they, why did they do that? And then we start digging into the DNA and it's like, oh, because you're family. That's why you, you did it. And I mean, I can't remember how many times we, we've come across that. Right. Right. So we, I mean, I think, I, I, first of all, let me um, just interrupt for one second. I want to apologize to everybody for these, these links that are popping up. Please know you do not have to use a link. They are popping up left and right. And I'm trying to block them as they come. So I'm hope, hopefully I've been able to do that. Um, but for whatever reason, these links are like really just, they're bad. Yes, please yes. do not do not click on them. Do they, not click on them. That is not us. It is spam. And um, we're trying to take care of it. And I, I just want to um, apologize for that. Yes. So, so hey, let me look at the link and see because I think it's also messing up our our live because every now and then it's popping up interrupted when it when it does that. So I want to go back and I want to look and see if anybody has actually um, asked the question. One person said, Brian, your volume is low. So I know that, but somebody did click. Don't, don't click them. Don't click them. If you if can see it, you didn't have to click it. You're already watching us. If you can see it, you you, you don't have to click it. Um, so while you're kind of doing a whack-a-mole with these spam, yeah, because they're messing with our sound and everything. I'm I'm reading these these things, and some people are saying that the sound is choppy, and I I just want to apologize for all of that. Yeah, as long as they stay on the Facebook, it should be fine. Uh, whatever link they're sending them to, um, just people don't don't click on those. We're fine here on Facebook. Thank you, thank you, Fiba. So actually, someone had left an interesting comment um, on the show flyer for today, 
And they were saying, well, slaves had to take the surname of their enslaver. That's not necessarily true. I do have an example. So we have James Henry Hammond, governor of South Carolina from Edgefield, who insisted that his enslaved people, do, they had to take the Hammond surname. Well, come 1870, when we see the vast majority of his enslaved people, 95% of them dropped Hammond. So clearly they, they were like, uh, no, we're not, we're not Hammonds. We're not Hammonds at all. We, we know who our ancestors were. So all of a sudden you start seeing other names besides Hammond. So I can agree to that to a point, but even then, I mean, you know, I've done deep research in the, the colonial period with enslaved people and there are surnames. It doesn't happen particularly often. Um, but you do see enslaved people mentioned in an estate inventory or will with the last name. Um, that's how I got some spectacular leads on my, my crump, my enslaved crump family in Virginia. They're there with their surnames. Um, now, whether or not they were biologically crumped, I don't know. Um, but again, seeing an enslaved person with a surname in an inventory or will in the slavery period, I'm not going to say it's an everyday thing, but it's not necessarily an uncommon thing either. Um, one interesting story that I did hear from a cousin. This is actually this is really funny. So again, newly freed enslaved person in Virginia, out in the fields, working his working his farm. And I believe it's a Union arm officer comes riding up and he just asked the man his name. So according to my cousin, the, the, the guy kind of thought, thought for a second and he knew who his father was. His father was his enslaver, but he hated, he absolutely hated his father. <clears throat> so because he was actually standing in an onion field, he said, Onion, my name is John Onion. And that's how that family got that, that last hilarious. name. That's hilarious. And you know, the one thing that I wonder is, is it just like that for um for Black people? Is it just for us? Because I'm telling y'all that the names in the DAR are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, those names that, that are coming up, that are popping up, that I'm seeing for these overall... Um, for the overall uh, patriots, you guys, you can't imagine, like, one is like, um, it's just a whole bunch of letters. And I'm like, where, where did it come from? Where did they, did, did that? In other words, did the same thing happen in Europe before they came over here as far as how they got their names? I, I, I just know it couldn't be just for us. That, that, that's impossible. That's just impossible. No, that is a good question. That is a good question. Um, and again, during, you know, working on the, the weeping time enslaved people um, who were largely African, they, they took surnames for what they did as an occupation. So the Cooper family, the men were Coopers. They, they built wooden barrels. I guess that's how they chose to define themselves. Um, there were enslaved people who were brewers. So you have a family called Brewer. Oh, who's the other one? There's, there's the Sawyers, um, the blacksmith family. Right. So, and, you know, just, I guess, being practically minded, well, I'm a Cooper, I can't be bothered to think of, like, a surname, surname, so this is what I do. Or, what about Freeman? Yes. Freeman came because they were freed men. Uh -huh. That's it. That's where it came from. So, you know, I mean, or, or freed men and women, but that's where, that's where that came from. And a lot of people kept it because they didn't want the names of, of their enslaved people. So they just said, I'm a freeman, and that's it. And that's how freeman came to existence. Mm -hmm. You know, so we have to like really pay attention to what's going on around us and 
or what's going on around our families to actually figure out those surnames and where they're coming from. Again, in terms of research, that can be your clue. Naming conventions, that's how I cracked the Holloway family in South Carolina. And that's how I cracked our specific line of Holloways was because of the naming conventions. They immediately led back to one, just one Holloway line really, really stood out. Um, same with the Matthews, naming conventions. Drury Cook Matthews for days in that family. Um, and also the use of the middle name Pope. So the Matthews and the Pope in Edgefield married, married each other over and over again. And that helped me figure out Lewis's, well, that and the fact that Lewis was mentioned in his father's will, um, helped me work him out. Right. Now, I, I'm also noticing um, people asking the questions like, where did certain names come from? You can go on to places like Ancestry and do um, a, a surname search. You can also Google surname searches and try to find out where your surnames came from. Um, but the main, the main issue for us is to real to first understand that when you're doing your research, you don't always have to automatically assume that your enslaved ancestor, if you found that your ancestor was enslaved or you're trying to think that they were enslaved, you don't autom the, the main thing is to first try to find them as that enslaver and then go outside it. So let's let's take the seniors, for example. Mm -hmm. The senior family. Um, that's one of, that's one of our relatives. We believe, well, let me start from the beginning. The senior family showed up in Edgeville, South Carolina in 1870 and 1880 and then poof, disappeared. They had like 16 children and they out of those 16 children, we only found four until the amazing Loretta did her job this morning <laughs> and she got a couple more, but nevertheless, we had only you know, had a tracking for four of them. Um, but where did they go? And who were they? Normally, when we do our research, we are able to look at the 1870 census, find out where the land that that person is living on. And we were very lucky in getting labor contracts to figure out if this was that was their last enslaver or things like that, but we weren't getting anything like that for the for the senior family. Like it, they literally just like magic. Poof! They appeared in 1870. There in 1880. By 1900, only four was there. That was it. We don't know what happened to them, where they went, what they just up and disappeared. Until we started doing some more research, and one of those kids actually, for whatever reason, seems like his name is Joe Harris, H A R R I S. We don't know where it's coming from. We don't. We're still kind of up in the air about the Joe Harris thing. I know I am. I think Brian's more comfortable with it, but I, I'm very up in the air with it. But the, the bottom line is, is that we can't find these people. And why is that? Because we really don't know what their last name is. Nope. That's it. No idea. No idea. We don't know what their last name is. They up and just disappear. So, but again, going back to the central premise that newly freed families took the name of an enslaver that they liked or their last one. Again, another family that I, another group that I can think of that did do that was those who were enslaved by Parkey Custis, which was Martha Washington's son, George Washington's stepson. Um, and again, because we don't really have a vocabulary to kind of talk about the relation, slavery itself, the dynamics and, you know, I don't like using the word good slaveholder or good or good slave owner. Um, but he did seem to have an affectionate relationship with some of his enslaved families. And some of those families who were not biologically related to him, right. um, they, they did take the name Custis or some of them took the name Lee because Robert E. Lee was his son-in-law. Um, so Robert E. Lee would have technically, been, well, not technically, he was their last enslaver. Um, so some of them actually, you know, some of them went by Custis and some of them went by Lee. 
um, but they were they you know they they were in the minority. So it's not to say that that never happened. Um, I can't even qualify it because I it's that I've been looking for studies. I've been trying to find any kind of writing on on the subject, and I can't find anything. So. I have no idea how usual or unusual what they did was. So let me answer. There's one question that says, "How so? How should Daphne Robinson's ask? So how should this direct our research?" Like I just said, with the um, with the senior families, I think the first thing that everybody should do, especially, well, actually, with any 1870 census, is look for a person who is. Um, the land that they're living on. If you don't understand what I'm saying about that, I guess we could we could add, show them what we're talking about, right? Sure. All right. But, let uh, me let me pull up somebody real quick. So while you're while you're doing that, so basically what Donnie and I are saying is the 1870 census. You will have found your uh, your family. First thing you want to do is to see whether or not they owned the land or they were renting. You can tell that if they're It'll say real estate and there should be a figure in that box. If there's no figure in that box, then the chances are they did not own the land that they were living on. So you have to figure out, well, whose land are they living on? And you usually scroll up and not down, but you just scroll up till you get to the, the, the first kind of real estate value. Look at who that, look at the name that's attached to that value. Um, and again, using our, well, actually, whether it's Virginia or North Carolina or South Carolina, it's the same. Nine times out of 10 in my own genealogy, it's been a white enslaving family. I know the perfect family to use too. Burrell Yeldell. Yes. Yeah, no, he's good. That's the perfect one to use because, um, so I'm going to share my screen so you guys can see this. All right, so this is Burrell Yeldell in the 1870 census. And um, this is one of my family. And if you scroll up, I will first, before I show you this, see this area where it's talking about value of real estate and, and value of personal estate and these numbers here. This is what Brian and I are talking about. This is how you know who owns the land. So if you look, this is the land that Burrell is on. He's actually on this guy's land. His name is John White. Now we were able to go to Family Search and then go and find um, a labor contract for John White. And when we did that, not only did we find Burrell on the labor contract, but we found Burrell with all of his children just kind of listed and with it not necessarily listing their wives' names, but if their children were, I'm gonna say around 12 or older, their children's names were listed. I mean, when I tell you all of everything, that everybody was there on that labor contract. So that meant that more than likely this could have been the last person And then um, if that was the last person he was enslaved by, he may carry that last name or he might've changed it. But here's the thing about Burrell. We already know that Burrell, because of DNA, that Burrell is a direct connection to the white Yale Dale. That, that's what we, we know. But this was how we started because I saw somebody say up here that they were so confused. So I hope they say how they're confused. But this was this was how we started. We started by looking at these value estates. So go back to your 1870 census and look at the first white person's land that your black family members are staying on. And once you find them, you go and you click on family search and you look for that white person. This is where a lot of black people are gonna get mad because they don't want to look for the white people. They only want to look for the black people. And unfortunately, I can just jump in for a second. So you're specifically looking for a set of documents on family search called the Freedmen Bureau's labor contracts. Right. Yeah. Right. So I'm gonna show you guys a labor contract that we pulled. Uh, I can't. It's not there. 
because I have to redo my, <laughs> I can't. Um, I do have a labor contract, but it wouldn't be for them and I don't want to confuse it. But nevertheless, the labor, con once you find those labor contracts, they will tell you, it, you could guess that that was the last land that they lived on. Mm -hmm. And now they are still living there, but now they're living there being quote unquote paid. If that makes sense. Did that make sense, Brian, what I said? Makes sense. <laughs> okay. Okay. So somebody said that makes more sense to me. Okay, good. Cool. Cool. So that's how we end up. Start, that's how we start that search. Because I saw somebody ask, how do you how do you start that search? That's how you start that search. Um, and like our home. Um, like our, our Harling ancestor is living on his father, David King Harling's land. So the fact that you have a formerly enslaved person with the name Harling, again, with very simple, very popular names that appeared in the, the white side of the family, he's living there as a sharecropper on his dad on his dad's land. And then of course, there was a labor contract with them, but then DNA sealed the deal. Right. They're like, okay, maybe David Harling is your father, and that's why you took the Harling surname. Right. Right. Now, where it's going to get tricky for people is where someone who was enslaved detested their enslaving family so much that they didn't use that name. Um, I've got a case of two Abernathys in Halifax, North Carolina, who knew exactly who their father was. Um, Sorry, they, weren't, they didn't use Abernathy. They actually used the Rhone, R-H-O-N-E surname, but they were biologically Abernathy's. They hated him so much. They refused to take the name. Now, why they chose Rhone is anyone's guess. There is not a Rhone family in that, that county, but that's the name that they took. So whether their mother was a Rhone, we, we, we just don't know. Right. I'm so upset that some people are clicking the feed. Please don't click the feed because you got some people who are, our sentences are repeating. And I'm, I'm really sorry that you clicked that. If you're on the Facebook page, just stay on the Facebook page. Um, gosh, I'm so sorry about all of that. Okay, so go ahead, Brian. Oh, that, that was it. So then the next thing, so now we're taking the next steps. And the next step is to, once you find that labor contract, if you are able to get that labor contract and you see that their names are matching um, the, the enslaver, the next step is to, in my opinion, to look at the DNA. Start typing in that DNA name on your, you know, search, on your search box and see if it's popping up in your line. If it's popping up in your line, then there's a, there's a possibility that you are connected to that enslaver and they could have kept that name because they were related to him and they already knew it. Um, the best way that I, I can explain about our, how I feel about how our ancestors are smarter. My grandfather was Jefferson Yeldale. He was not enslaved, but he was born in 1894. And um, the man had about the sixth to seventh grade education. But within that education, it allowed him to know how to do not one, not two, but three churches. That two of them are still in existence today. He had a business savvy about him. And he only had a sixth grade education. So if they are able to make those types of moves with just a sixth grade education, they were already, they were already ready to do, and, and they, they already had their mindset on how to make waves for us to be where we are today. Does that make sense? But I while you were speaking, one, one thing that I realized is the majority of our South Carolina family weren't broken apart. 
they were in as much as I gave Bessie to my daughter Anne and I gave Tony to my son Thomas. Uh -huh. You know, they were broken up, but they were kept within the same enslaving families. And I have a feeling that that may be a factor because they they knew who they were. You know, they would have grown up having at least one parent with them. So you know, hearing the story about grandma, granddad, and you know, all of you know, these are the people that you come from, kind of a thing. So I'm just thinking that maybe we have to factor that in too. Yeah. Like I said, if you were an infant or a small child and you were sold away from your mother and you went to a different county or a different state, um, like what we were reading in that, that Charlotte Brooks book, you're not going to have any clue who you are, who you come from, much less where you come from. So I guess that, that would pose some unique challenges in terms of coming up with the surname. Right. So I see where... Um... Someone, when she said she, when he said it was confused, Wadia Nelson, she got confused when I said type in the DNA. So what I mean by that, and I'm, I'm going to show you what I mean by that. Um, let's take, let's take uh, the settles name. My mom is a Yeldale, right? And because my mother is a Yeldale, she was having all these settles pop up. And I never understood why until we found out that her, Great, her great grandmother was actually a settler. But what I, I mean by typing in the DNA, I mean like this. So I'm getting ready to share my screen again with you so that you know what I mean by that. Um, so basically, on your DNA with Ancestry, you have this search button. If you click on that search button, you can type in a name, you can type in the name in two spaces or the location in the last place. Name, just simply put it in and see what pops up. And when you hit search, notice all of these people are connected to settles. Now, when you say match name, it's actually going by the name of the, the person or possible or who it's managed by they got somehow they got settles in their name but if you typed in the name settles in this area this is matching everyone who has settles on their tree so my mom has several several settles because she is a settle and um that's that's what i mean by that so i hope that explained what i was talking about and actually, I've got another really, I have another really good example. <clears throat> so I've been doing some research on a gentleman called Mark Conyers, and he was, he was born and he lived in Waccamaw, Georgetown County, South Carolina. So in 1870, he is down as March Hassel or Hazel, because it's the same family and it's spelled two different ways. In eight, and he's there with his mother and his grandmother and his siblings. So then in 1880, again, it's his grandmother, his mother, and his siblings, but all of a sudden, him and his siblings' last name have changed to Alston. Then in 1900, when he's an adult, he's married, he's got a family of his own, he is March Conyers. So as a genealogist, I had to answer the question, how do you go from Hassel Hazel to Alston to Conyers? So, he didn't have a choice in 1870, 1880. He was a child. He was not the person giving the information. The first one was his grandmother. The second one was his mother. And like I said, he wasn't he wasn't an adult until the 1900s. So then I got you know I was chatting to the client. And I got to thinking, well, 1900, and he was put like what Martha did, putting her stake in the ground, saying, "I am a Brooks." That was March hopping up and down going, I'm a Conyers. Uh -huh. So then I had to think, okay, so then who was the Alston and who was the Hassel? And that's what I'm researching at the moment. Either his mother was the Alston or the Hassel or his grandmother was the Alston or the Hassel. But those two women are attached to those. One of them is gonna end up being the Hassel. One of them is gonna end up being the Alston. So in a way it makes sense how, how he did it. Um, right. I mean, 
we're working on the hypothesis that because the grandmother was the first one to get the information, she was either the hassle or she was having children by a hassle. Uh-huh. Meant that March's mother was the Alster, or she was having children with well, no, because uh, he he is biologically a Conyers. But work, there was a reason for it, and you know me, Donnie. You know, kind of how 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 I think, and how I tend to get kind of really latched on to something. I am determined to figure this out. Right. Um, in as much as to give his mother and his grandmother their their rightful their rightful names. Right. So another question was asked on how do you search um, for the labor contracts? I want to make sure I'm doing this right before I show it to you guys. (laughs) If you open up Google, and um, the the person can do this as I'm saying it, open up a tab, um, use Safari, Google, whatever your browser choice is, type in Friedman's labor contract, comma, family search and it will take you straight to that database right so I I have the right thing so this is what I'm getting ready to do so basically just a quick since we're doing like brief just showing brief stuff um this is family search page and because this is the family search page basically I just typed in Lemuel Brooks This is the land that my great-great-grandmother, Martha, the last person she was sold to. So I know that he was, he was the last person he was sold to. I knew what his name was and where he was born. So I put in that. And once I put that in, I clicked on collections. I hope you guys are writing this down. And I clicked on collections. And then I scrolled down until I got to what Brian was talking about. Now this has different ones but I want this one, the labor contract. And as you can see, these are all purple because I've clicked on them before. Um, But Lemuel, I would do the search. And then this contract is the name. It it basically see it, but it's a whole contract that he talks about this entire family and what it is that they can and cannot do and what their children, what so they mark that x these are all people that were connected to the brooks family i i uh i confirmed it from the his slave inventory that he had and i was able to definitely get it all out and i realized that this contract was just a after slavery ended type of thing so these people they all were now, quote unquote, employed by him. And, and that's how I got, that's how I found my great-great-grandmother. Actually, this is a really good one to show because what, the person that Donnie is talking about, Lemuel, and all of these people lived in Edgefield, but the contract itself was filed in a right. town called Aiken. So you have to, basically, these contracts won't necessarily be filed in the town or the county that you're researching, they will be filed in the next largest town or large. I guess Aiken was just more, was more populous than uh-huh. the Edgefield. Yeah. So, Lachelle, I hope that we're helping because um, you were the one that wrote. I'm so confused. First of all, I want to thank you guys because you guys are just popping these questions in left and right to the point where I'm having a slight. I'm trying to keep up. <laughs> so, Lachelle, I hope that this helped because then he was like, I'm confused about everything. And that's why I wanted to go back and, and show that. And then Dana Wilson says, so if there is an amount uh, in the real estate and personal estate value on the 1870 census, what does that mean again? It means that it's not about what it means. First of all, you got to look and make sure that that's a white person. It's probably their land that it's on. That's what it means. But it means they own that land. But if it's not family, then that means that they they own the land that they were on, and you should start looking for those land records. Right. Find out, you know, when they bought their land, how much it was, who they bought it from, 
Right. Did you freeze? Oh no, no. I thought you froze. <laughs> so I'm I'm still going through these questions. Thank you so much. You guys are popping them in. And Wendy said, I think that is common for South Carolina families in so many ways. Yes. God, yes. <laughs> so um, but after that. This is where you can start deciphering whether or not you're, once you've done, in, in our opinion, once you start doing your, um, taking those particular steps, you can start deciphering on whether or not they took their name because they had to, or they took their name because they wanted to. And then another thing that people need to realize is that after the, the 18, after the, um, the Civil War ended, they had a choice. They were told, you can keep this name or you can choose another name. So sometimes you may not even come to the position of finding out why they have that last name. You know, it was an entire choice for that. Because they could say, oh yeah, well, I want to be Mitchell. And Mitchell has nothing to do with them. And you're looking around for a Mitchell slave family, like my seniors, why are they seniors? Where did it come from? There is not one white enslaving senior family in the Edgefield area, not one. I don't, but I've seen the last name senior in Europe. I've seen a lot of UK um, census records with that last name, but why does my family have that last name? I have no clue. And you've seen it in Barbados too. Right. Oh, yeah. But they're also, yeah, they're definitely Caribbean, Barbados, Jamaica, um, Bahamas, mm -hmm. but they're not in Edgefield. Yeah. They're not in Edgefield. So, well, Pamela, um, uh, Pamela Boyd says everything is so small, you can't see it. Pictures speak a lot of words. Yes, they do. But I wasn't really trying to give you a, a picture. I was actually trying to show you how to go about doing it. And, and that's why I, you know, stated that it was small. And that's why I said, I hope you guys are, you know, writing it down because those were the directions that we, those are ways that we find out as far as who our enslaved ancestors are or are not. <laughs> so I just wanted to put that out there. And I guess with Moses, it was a little bit different because again, when we're doing our research, you have to really pay attention to what the enslavers were saying in their probate records about specific yes, enslaved yes. people. And again, same with Martha. <clears throat> with Moses Williams the Elder, it was written in the wills. He was supposed to go to his nephew or his cousin, I can't remember who, but Davis Williams. And there was a, there was a codicil it said, if for any reason Moses was unhappy with his enslavement with Davis, he could choose for himself. And he was the only enslaved person out of a list of almost 250 people that had that, had that option yes. <clears throat> to be able to choose for himself. Martha was handled differently. She was mentioned in a memo. Don Donnie can tell you more about that. Yeah, she was so... With Martha, Martha Brooks originally was first found with her, I'm saying her grandfather, Whitfield Brooks. And, and then after she was found with Whitfield, um, he, in his will, a part of his will stated that he would leave a memo to his wife. No one knows what that memo is. That's the one thing that I haven't had with a certain number of in, about 29 enslaved people. And she had to do special things for them. These were folks who probably were related to him in one way or another, whether it be child, grandchild, sibling, what have you, that he, he was like, she had to take care of them and give them gifts annually. Well, she didn't keep any of them. She gave them all to her children. She was like, I'm not doing that. But that's the memo that he was talking about. But one of the things that Brian, when he was talking about Moses, and he said the, the land records and landies and the probate records, this is why we had to do 
Well, I'm not going to say, I'm going to say, I'm not going to say we, I'm going to say Brian, because again, I will forever say that Brian made me do the research on Moses. I don't care how much, <laughs> how good we are at doing it. He made me do it. So this, for example, shows, no, that's the wrong one. This one is this one. So this one right here, Brian took the time to actually write out. Now, I don't know how many of y'all are going to do this, but Brian actually took the time. He was going through all of these probate, probate records. That's why he was the managing genealogist for this particular process. And um, he took the time to write all of this out. And when he took the time to write this information out from these land records and deed records and said who they were, where they went to. If you guys look here, I'll try to make it bigger. This is Moses Jr. This is my three, time, three times great-grandfather. Mm -hmm. Right here, when you see the numbers beside him, they were putting the ages down. And this is Moses Sr. This is why we know exactly how old he is and when he was born. We know that he died in he, that he was born in 1769 because he was born, he was 22 years old when this particular deed was done. So this is these are I mean you gotta like really wanna know <laughs> you gotta wanna know how to do these things if you want to pull and find your family name like we do not we do not play around we 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 want to dig it all out so someone asked how do we hire you guys <laughs> the way you got you you go to the genealogy adventures um net dot net website and i can we can put that link in in the comment that's really easy genealogy adventures plural dot net slash research takes you right to the research page. Yes. Yeah. So, but um, God, this time is moving fast. It is, but you know, that that's what we have to do. And I guess the longer that I, the longer that I research my family, our family, actually, and um, it's not, I don't want to say that it's not overly complicated, but Identity is like one of the most basic fundamental things. And sometimes I think we overthink how our ancestors got their names. And I'm going to cycle back to the statement that I made before that, you know, depending on if your family wasn't split apart and sold here, there, and everywhere, there, there were those who were, but if they weren't, <clears throat> they were more or less kept together within the whiting and slaving family, the chances are they, they're going to know where they came from. They're going to know bits and pieces of their, their family ancestry, and that comes through their names, both the, fir the first names they were using as well as their surnames. Right. And let me just say this, because I'm going through, I'm, I'm reading through some of the um, comments. And another thing I want to say is this, if you are having problems viewing the show, it'll, it'll be straight on our YouTube page on Monday and you'll be able to replay it. Brian may be able to, it'll be on the YouTube page on Monday. So, mm -hmm. um, and I, I do apologize for anything and you can write your questions down and hopefully it will help. So I don't know, they they really got to us this time. And I'm seeing all these Brookses up here. Y'all from Edgefield? <laughs> <laughs> and then um, another lady asked if, having the papers from the slave owners doesn't help yes ma'am yes it does it helps a lot and um if you want to donate there and if you want to donate anonymously or what have you there is a group called beyond kin that allows you to help do those types of things to be able to donate your papers so that is beyond Kin.org. Or if you're on Facebook, you can look up the their Facebook group, which is again beyond Kim. <clears throat> well, now here's a good question for you, Brian. I'm gonna say for you, because I've never come across this one. What if they were enslaved before 
1800 and were freed by 1820s? Same process. Um, you've got, oh, I can't remember his name, but you had um, a really huge enslaver in West, Westmoreland County, I believe, Virginia. You had a pleasance in the Jordan. They freed their, like between them, they freed over 1500 enslaved people really early in the 1700s. Um, and you look for you look for the manumission papers. That's the act of actually freeing an enslaved person. It doesn't even matter what the time period was, so long as it's in slavery. It's called manumission. That's how they refer to. And if you look up manumission documents, the county that you're researching in, hopefully they still survive. Um, live, if you're doing this in Virginia, the place to go is the Library of Virginia website, the LVA, LVA website. They have a lot of the Maddie Mission papers on there. And then we had another person who asked, how can we get Black people to do ancestry DNA? I am not the person to answer that question. <laughs> I just tell people there is nothing to fear but fear itself. Right. You know, Whatever the reality is, probably isn't going to be anywhere near as bad as what you imagine it's going to be. Right. And then that, the thing that I get into when it comes to DNA and testing is the fact that, please remember that it is a, it, 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 it's just like a paternity test. They don't tell you that in all of these, you know, when they, when they talk about when they talk about taking your DNA, they focus on ethnicity. They focus on where you come from and so on and so forth like that. And these people get completely and totally upset when you start finding out things that you did not want to know. Like I have a sibling or my daddy ain't my daddy. Or, you know, it's just, you, you start finding those things out. So please know this. It really is not that much different from a paternity test. It's just not because you're going to find family. I have family members who won't test because they are afraid that it might be a kid out there or they might, yeah, that it might be, a, let's say there might be a kid out there. Well, let me say this. If my brothers don't test, it really doesn't matter because I'm on there, my mama up there, my sister's up there, my two children, I have two children that have tested. So if my either one of my brothers has some outside kid, that child is and they tested on any one of those sites, that child is going to pop up, whether they're popping up as my niece or nephew, as my children's first cousins, or my sister's niece or nephew, or my mother's grandchild. They're going to pop up. So at this point, it doesn't matter whether or not you you, you know, don't want to find out if you have a kid, that's going to come out regardless. But what advice would you give? Because this is something that I hear specifically from, from African-Americans who don't want to do a DNA test because they just don't want to see that what it, if they have European, they don't want to see it. So say that again. We know of African-Americans who don't want to take a DNA test because they can't handle it and don't want to see a European percentage because they know what that represents. Right. How, what what advice would you give them? How how would you talk that person around? Well, first off, I would first tell them that it may not represent what they think it represents. That's number one, because no matter how much African Americans want to say that every enslaved woman was raped, they may not have been raped. I know it's hard to take in. I know I know that's a hard thought process. But hey. what makes you, I guess my thing with this is what makes you think that a person, a black and a white person can fall in love now, but couldn't fall in love then? Why? Why would, why is it, why is it different? Because they were enslaved. If I'm looking at you and I find you attractive before you start doing all that crazy stuff to me, then I'm finding you attractive. That, that doesn't, that doesn't stop. That's how I look at it. I'm logically thinking. Now, that's in my that's that's my thought process. Now, I may get attacked when it goes on YouTube. <laughs> no, no, there's actually, I'll do two quick examples. So, Venus Jossi, Northampton County, North Carolina, her enslaver, who is the father of her children, 
he's writing her love letters from the Civil War battlefield. I mean, proper love letters. Now, what she felt, we don't know because she was illiterate. She didn't respond. You know, she did. She didn't write her feelings back to him. We only had that one-sided conversation. But he, he, you know, he was writing her full-on love letters from the Civil War battlefield. She was enslaved. I guess you'd call her a concubine. Well, she was like his common law wife because he never married. Um, you've got another one in Virginia, the most notorious colonial era divorce room. He, his family forced uh. him to marry a white socialite. He didn't want to marry her. He was already in love with, his, with an enslaved woman called Sylvie. And he to Ohio. Well, his family spat the dummy. They threw the toys out of the pram. To say that they said, oh, hell no, was an understatement. Made him get married. It was a disaster. He made his white socialite wife work in the fields like a slave. Made Sylvie the mistress of the household, giving his wife orders. Well, his wife wasn't having any of it. He got abusive with her, which don't condone. And to cut a long story short, she sued him. His wife sued him for a divorce. Not only did she win, the Virginia forbade Newman from ever marrying again. They wanted to make him an example. But he loved, you know, he loved who he loved. And if it wasn't for the interference of his family, could have. But that's not how it ended. So as Donnie was saying, we can't always make the sun. Trust, I have evidence of rape. Never pleasant or easy to, to read, um, especially when it's being written about in a dry history book. Um, but you can't always assume that that's the case. Right. And sometimes it's just going to be a question mark. My, my chef, the ancestor Elsie, she had five children by the brother of her enslaver. When you start having five or six kids with the same person, is that going to be rape every, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the relationship was, but I find it hard to believe that that is going to happen five or six times. Sally Hemings, Thomas Jefferson, we don't have her side of the story. Um, I don't think he ever wrote about how he felt about Sally. Um, that's another question. That's another question mark. But I wouldn't let that put, you know, if you want to reclaim your family history, DNA is a Basically, especially when it's an enslaved family, DNA is going to have to come into it sooner or later, one way or another. Right. Well, Brian, the show's over. <laughs> 459, man, 459. This happened quickly. This happened quickly. We, we have a lot of um, questions up here to go over. I'm so glad you guys enjoyed this show. It looks like that, you know, a lot, a lot of people found some folks up here in the in the process, and <laughs> um, and I hope that we helped some kind of way when it comes to surnames and renaming. Again, I do want to apologize for the um, the, the the you know the technical issues, but like CNN and all of the others, we're going through them too. Um, so very quickly, next week. Because we still got one minute. You want to introduce it? Huh? Would you like to introduce it? Um, which one? I can't remember which one it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We'll be posting about it next week. Um, thank you everyone for for joining us yet again. Like I said, apologize. Many apologies for the um, technical glitches. We are working on these spammers. We don't know why they picked us all of a sudden, but we are working on it. Um, Again, apologies for the technical glitches. The all singing, all dancing one should be up on, will, will not should be, will be up on YouTube. Uh, Genealogy Adventures channel tomorrow morning. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Somebody called it interesting gymnastics. I love that. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Let me tell you, that's black genealogy. Yes, that's black right. genealogy. Interesting <laughs> gymnastics. So I'm Donya. I'm Brian. We will see you next week, 4 p.m. right here. Bye. Bye.